The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell Christ our living head Will one day come again To judge the living and the dead I believe and trust in Him I will trust in my Redeemer Sing of His love that lasts forever Know His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my foundation Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Iesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome again to Pastor Yeshua. As stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture, we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall see that ultimately, as with all Scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance, which is Jesus. In the previous six episodes, we took an in-depth examination of the various types, shadows, and the substance which were revealed by God through the book of Exodus, beginning with chapter 1 and continuing through chapter 12. In doing so, we saw how God used the historical saga of Israel's entrance, bondage, and eventual deliverance from Egypt by Moses 
which parallels and in fact foreshadows its substance depicting all God's people who have entered into bondage of sin and are delivered from their sin through grace, by faith, in the finished work and imputed righteousness of Jesus. As we continued episode 6, we left our study of the type of Moses, the Deliverer, with Exodus 12, which begins a full revelation from God to Moses regarding the Passover. We touched briefly on the Passover, the substance of which is Jesus and his crucifixion. In order to do full justice to the type, shadow, and substance of the Passover would require an entire episode in its own right. So, for the time being, I will leave a greater study for another time. In this episode, we pick up the narrative of our type in Exodus 13 as God begins to lead Israel out of Egypt using his deliverer, Moses. In verse 17, we read, Quote, And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest preadventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. How aptly this verse demonstrates the status of the believer who, like the Israelites, have just been set free from the bondage of sin by virtue of our deliverer Jesus. Like the Israelites, we are not immediately ready at the outset of conversion for all-out war. Instead, God must prepare our faith and strengthen it through trials by revelation of His power and protection, through nourishment by His hand. We are destined to be eventual conquerors of all those forces which beset us, but first we must learn to trust God who goes before us to fight for us. If we go too soon too fast, in our own strength to wage war, then how surely we will find defeat, fall, and return to the bondage of sin in Egypt. Verse 18 says, But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. In this case, God led the Israelites toward the Red Sea, knowing that he would perform the miraculous act of parting the Red Sea and allowing the entire group to walk across to the other side on dry ground. Further, the text states that Israel went up, quote-unquote, harnessed out of Egypt. The word harnessed is a Hebrew word more properly meaning, quote, in battle array, arrayed for battle by fives, or armed, unquote. In perspective, This shows that the Israelites began as slaves in bondage to Egypt, requesting their freedom from Pharaoh to leave and worship God. In the end, they left by command of Pharaoh as an army ready to do battle. While they left harness prepared at any moment for battle, they did so in groups of five. Five is always used to signify God's grace. Consequently, we see that to be fully prepared for victory... The believer's greatest weapon is God's grace, by which we go from victory to victory. Verse 19 says, quote, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you, unquote. 
Once again, this verse gives us the type which goes directly to the substance at hand. Here, Joseph is the type of all those who died with faith that one day God would visit and deliver them from Egypt, i.e. sin. For these, it didn't matter how long the waiting would be. What mattered is that these people demonstrated trust an abiding hope in the promise that God would send his messenger who would deliver them. Moses is the type of Jesus who would visit his people, and though they were dead in their trespasses and sins, i.e. bones, he would take those bones and transform that which was dead into an army harnessed to follow him to the promised land. This reminds us of John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, which say, quote, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? Unquote. Also, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, quote, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, had quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved." and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus." Unquote. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13, quote, "And you, being dead in your sins and of the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses." Unquote. Next, verse 20 states, quote, and they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness, unquote. While the exact location is not known, one theory identifies Succoth as Saqqara, which overlooks nearby Memphis, which in turn is believed to be the location where our story in Egypt is focused. Saqqara has several locations used as burial spots, any one of which could have been a place where Joseph was buried and from where Moses could have retrieved his bones during the exodus already mentioned. Etham means, quote, at place in the desert, unquote. As we close out chapter 13, we find verses 21 and 22, which say, quote, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people, unquote. The original Hebrew words translated, quote, unquote, cloud and quote-unquote fire, both have the suggestion that like that of the burning bush 
What is in view is a theophany presented by God to his people, which he maintained both day and night to lead the way to the promised land. This again is the exact situation promised and found in its substance for the believer. Having been delivered from sin by our deliverer Jesus, we are not abandoned. Rather, we each are led day and night by the gift of his Holy Spirit. We are protected by his hand through and against every adversary. We have comfort, hope, and assurance that according to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We have his promise and the gift of eternal life and of reaching the promised land, heaven, where we shall ever be with the Lord. In chapter 14, Moses leads Israel to the edge of the sea. During the process, Pharaoh again has his heart hardened and decides to pursue Israel and slaughter them. Initially, Israel sees Egypt's army approaching and becomes disheartened, believing that since they are trapped between the sea and Egypt's armies, that they are doomed. It is during this moment of apparent hopelessness by Israel that God steps in and announces the following in verses 13 and 14. Quote, and Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians, whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Unquote. In verse 19 and 22 we read, quote, And the angel of the Lord, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and a darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left." Unquote. These series of verses tell us many things. First, we have the confirmation that as earlier theorized, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud are in fact manifestations of God in the theophanic sense. Verse 19 supports this by talking about, quote, the angel of God, unquote, and also the pillar of cloud, which went from before the Israelites to being behind them. Second of all, one or both of these manifestations worked in divergent ways between the Egyptians and the Israelites. In looking at the incident in retrospect, we see that the type and the substance are not that different. The Israelites, who are God's chosen people, are also a type of all those people who have by grace through faith been redeemed from Egypt, i.e. sin, by their deliverer Jesus. These people are en route to the promised land, i.e. heaven, 
Just like Pharaoh, the type of Satan is not content to let God's people leave their bondage. He will seek every opportunity to pursue us and either re-enslave us to Egypt or to kill us. It is not uncommon that God will orchestrate or allow circumstances of life so that from a fleshly perspective, we, like the Israelites, are apparently devoid of every earthly resource that could give us rise to say we have saved ourselves. Instead, God permits these apparent impossibilities, difficulties, and trials just so that he can show his hand of personal deliverance. It is also characteristic that in this case that we, like Israel, must wait to see how and when God will deliver us. We may wait a few moments, we may wait overnight like Israel, or we may wait longer. What the story promises is that like Israel, regardless of how long we may wait, if indeed we are following Jesus our Deliverer, we will have his presence to give us light, while that same presence leaves Pharaoh, i.e. Satan, and his army, like all those who did not know the Lord, in darkness. More directly, God himself gives revelatory commentary on the substance of the pillar of cloud and of the crossing of the sea in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, as follows, quote, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, unquote. This albeit short passage is self-evident to the fact that these two instances serve as the type foreshadowing the substance of baptism. In verses 21 through 30, God prepares and executes his final deliverance of Israel from the Egyptians through Moses' hand. Well, this is an event that had its historical conclusion some 4,000 years ago. There is a similar deliverance awaiting God's people by our substance deliverer, Jesus. As you listen, take hope, stand still, be at peace, and know that like Israel, we, God's people, who follow our deliverer, Jesus, Yeshua, will see him fight for us and we will have victory. Quote, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians, and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand 
over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Unquote. When this day comes, we, like Israel, will sing, dance, give thanks, and praise to God our Deliverer, just as Moses, Miriam, and the children of Israel did in Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. Until then, we only need stand still, be at peace and rest in faith in the knowledge and assurance that as we follow our Deliverer Jesus to the promised land, heaven, he will provide the light of his presence even in darkness and will never remove his hand except to fight against those who seek to destroy us. As we continue, in chapter 15, verse 22, we read the following, quote, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them." Unquote. Now before we attempt to draw commentary on the above verse, it is worth reviewing the Targums for this event, which is paraphrased as follows, quote, and Moses made Israel go forward from the sea of Suf, and they went forth into the wilderness of Chalutza, and they journeyed three days in the desert, empty of instruction, and found no water. And they came to Marah, but could not drink the waters of Marah, because they were bitter. Therefore they called the name of it Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he prayed before the Lord, and the Lord showed him a bitter tree of artifine, and he wrote upon it the great and glorious name, and cast it into the midst of the waters, and the waters were rendered sweet. And there did the word of the Lord appoint to him the ordinance of the Sabbath, and the statute of honoring father and mother, the judgments concerning wounds and bruises, and the punishments wherewith offenders are punished, and there he tried them with the tenth trial." Unquote. To begin with, in terms of placing substance to our type here, we see that the timing for this event occurs after having journeyed three days into the desert. If we place Egypt as the starting point for the three days journey, 
then the context is that God's people have been delivered from Egypt, which is the type of sin by Moses, who is the type of Jesus the deliverer. Thus, I believe that the three days mentioned here is designed to help us zero in on the fact that what follows from this point has some close connection to the substance, which is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, as well as our condition as we accept our place in his completed act through grace by faith in that completed act. The question arises in our story then, If at this point we have the type of God's people being covered via the Passover, and we are delivered from sin, i.e. Egypt, then why do we find God's people encountering bitterness? Some commentaries interpret this incident as an encouraging reminder of the fact that God's people will encounter times of trial, bitterness, and thirst, which constitute the refining fires of sanctification. Further, it is pointed out that we may take comfort and solace in the knowledge that Jesus, like the artifine tree, makes all of these bitter waters sweet. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 through 5 would tend to support this idea when it says, quote, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and cried our sorrows, yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed." Clearly, then, there is a valid application which fits this theory. At the same time, I think there is another substance for this incident which goes far beyond this observation. If we return to the entry found in the Targums indicating that God's people Israel were, quote, empty of instruction and found no water, unquote, we have a valuable clue which clarifies the substance of our type. Further, we have the addition from the Targum which tells us that the instruction in question takes the form of the word of the Lord appointing Moses with the ordinance of the Sabbath and the statute of honoring thy father and mother, the judgments concerning wounds and bruises, and the punishment wherewith offenders are punished. Now at first glance this may sound like an attempt to make the case that God's people are incomplete or in bitterness because of the lack of having or following the Ten Commandments. But God is not making the case that legalism and or works are necessary to complete what Christ has already finished. In fact, what God is here demonstrating is that justification is final, but sanctification is only the beginning of a process. The evidence of true justification 
is the implantation of the gift of God's indwelling Holy Spirit, which initiates and maintains sanctification, as well as the fruits of justification. It is these fruits of ever-increasing sanctification which manifest themselves in diverse ways, including the fruits of works, which are the ultimate evidence of sanctification, not the basis for it. Jesus comments on the issue this way in John chapter 14, verses 22 through 26, which say, quote, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He which loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you." Unquote. John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15 say, quote, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore saith I that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you." Unquote. 1 John chapter 2, verses 27-29 through 29 say, quote, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye shall not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when ye shall appear, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye shall know that every one that doth righteousness is born of him." Unquote. The conclusion for the substance of our type is that if we are without the gift of God's indwelling Holy Spirit, we are left in the desert, empty of instruction, thirsty, and in bitterness. There is no effort, no work, no good deed, nothing in or of this world which we can add to or take away from the water of this world which is absent 
God's Holy Spirit, which will prevent it from being bitter. Consequently, we remain empty, thirsty, and in bitterness until we, by prayer, apply in faith, quote, the great and glorious name, unquote, of Yeshua, Jesus the Christ, whereby his Holy Spirit is implanted in our midst, and even the most bitter water is made sweet. This is precisely what is meant when Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, quote, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. This concludes this episode. Please join me again for part 8. Now if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com that's p-a-s-t-o-r underscore y-e-s-h-u-a at yahoo.com thank you for listening